how many believe that God's love means more than life? Come on, how many believe that his love means everything? And because of that, he is worthy to be praised. Come on, can you lift up a praise from your pain? Can you lift up your praise from your circumstance? Can you lift up your praise from the situation? But even more so, can you lift up a praise from victory and freedom because of what he's already done? You know, it says in Psalms chapter 63, verse 1, where it says, You are my God, I worship you. In my heart, I long for you, as I would long for a stream in a scorching desert. I have seen your power and your glory in the place of worship. Your love means more than life to me, and I praise you. As long as I live, I will pray to you. I will sing joyful praises and be filled with excitement like a guest at a banquet. You know what's beautiful about a psalm like this from David is that in order for you to worship something, in order for you to have that type of response to something is because you've experienced and seen what God can do. In order for you to continue coming back and returning, whether it's for a longing of something, whether it's healing of something, whether it's for a response, it's because you've seen what God is capable of doing. Is there anyone in the room that knows or has seen God do something within your own life, in your own life? Is there anyone else in the room that has seen God's power in someone else's life? Has anybody been a witness to somebody else? So here's David singing in a song saying, I will worship you because of your goodness. I will worship you because that's the best place that I can be is in your presence. And in your presence, there's freedom. In your presence, there's joy. In your presence, there's peace. In your presence, there's no doubt. In your presence, there's healing. So when I worship and I lift up a praise to God, he responds knowing that because I've done it once before, young man, young woman, if I've done it once before, wife or husband, if you've seen my power and what I'm capable of doing, I have every reason to lift up my hands and open my mouth and give God praise because he deserves it, because he's done it before. He continues to do it. So is there people in the room that can give God praise, knowing what he's already done? Come on, give a shout to God. Lift up a praise to him. Yeah. I just love, love the experience of that song because it's, it's a will to praise. It's a will to praise. Come on, right now there's, a, there's playoff basketball happening. Someone wants to win. And at the end of the final minute, and you're tired and you're out of it, you might be in pain and you're hurt, but there's something that happens with an athlete or a superstar to say, you know what, I have to push my will and I'm going to get and complete what I came here to do. Sometimes it's like that with us. Maybe it was hard to arrive today. Maybe you're going through a situation. Maybe there's something painful you keep reciting in your mind. Sometimes we just got a will to praise. You say, oh my soul, don't you get shy on me. There's a lion that's in inside and it's ready to roar and I know what you're capable of doing so I worship you God I lift you up Lord 
process. How many can worship him through the journey? Don't wait till the victory happens and manifests in real time. Can I worship him while I'm waiting? Can I worship him while I'm waiting for God to answer? We lift you up, Lord. We lift you up, Jesus. We worship you. Come on, can we just go into that? Just go. Yes, Lord. Come on, just say it, say it. somebody shake their hand introduce yourself come on can we just do that just for a moment
My name is Andres Lopez, and together with my awesome, beautiful wife, Pastor Maria, we lead the English services here as executive pastors, and we're so grateful you decided to be here with us this afternoon. So if you're here for the very first time, you've never been here before, can you just wave at me? It's your first time here with us. Come on. Hey, wow. Welcome. Welcome. Come on, Revive. Can we give it up? Thank you. Thank you for being here today. Is there anyone else? Right over here. Hey, welcome. Thank you so much for being here with us. Wow, what an amazing time. It's awesome when we get to have people come in and get to experience what God is doing here at Revive. And so we truly believe that God will lead you where he wants you to go, whether it's here, whether it's somewhere else. There's so many phenomenal churches in our city. But if you're going to be here, take some time, soak it in, allow God to really speak to you in this place, and, and we can call you family. Amen. So one more time, can we give it up for those that are visiting here with us? Right at the conclusion of service, I'd love to meet and greet you. My wife and I will be outside together with some of our leadership. We'll be right under the tents. And uh, go to that area where it says welcome. If you're new here, we'd love to get to know you. So thank you once again. Maybe you're watching online or you're on our Facebook or YouTube. Welcome. Thank you for tuning in. Take a moment to share and bless somebody with what's happening today. So can we give it for those that are watching online as well? Amen. And so what a grateful time it is to be here. I'd like to honor also our senior pastor, which is my father, Pastor Carlos. We can give it up for Pastor Carlos. He is so amazing, the visionary of our house. And so my mom is, uh, she's not here today. She is in uh, Miami, you know what I'm saying? Like just, she went to a women's conference. She was invited there with a group of ladies from here. And so uh, she sends her love. And so we're just grateful to be in church today. I'm excited to be here today. Uh, obviously, there's something that's great that feels like you, anybody could just say it, but the reality is there's an energy that comes when you feel like you're walking into a room of, of people you love and that love you. Amen? And so we're grateful that you're here today. Amen? And so I want to get right into it. And, and, and before I do so, uh, shout out to our Revive Kids team. And can we go for our Revive Kids team? They're back there working. And uh, uh, I, I had the honor of taking our, our director of uh, Revive Kids and and a few of our lead teachers uh, to Orange Conference in Atlanta, Georgia. We got back yesterday, and uh, wow, we were just filled. Alex, love you, Alex. Had us up. Oh, wave, Alex. That's one of your lead teachers right there. He teaches your kids, and so um, it, it was an amazing time together. And so um, we started this curriculum in February. Uh, so I need you to know that your kids, if you have kids that are here, it's not just a daycare back there. It's not just babysitters, right, waiting for me to finish. You know what I'm saying? Waiting for you to finish. No, they're actually learning the word of God. They're doing activities. They're doing things that point them to Jesus and to really start and understand what it is to have a relationship with Jesus. So we came back filled from this conference and ready to continue just pouring into the next generation. And something that reminded me that was so powerful, because a lot of times when you're in ministry, uh, it could become a, a repetitive thing. It could be something that, that just becomes so like, just, uh, I'm here, right? And, and, but Jesus said, when you bring the little children to me, right? What was beautiful about what Jesus was saying is that when you welcome them, you welcome me. So when I'm doing youth ministry and those teenagers walk in, you're welcoming Jesus in this place because they've walked in. When we're doing kids ministry, we're welcoming the kids and Jesus in because they walked in. Right? And so it's so beautiful. And so, man, we love it. If you want to serve within our team, Revive Kids and, or, or our Revive Youth, man, let us know. Man, we, we would love to, to have be part of what God's doing with the, with the next generation. Amen? And so um, we're going to get right into it. And, and uh, I, I'm truly believing that God has a word for us today. If you're ready to take 
take notes, pull out your pads, your tablets, whatever it is that you utilize, your phone, and just uh, make sure, you know, just uh, ignore the text message for now. Put it on silent. You know what I'm saying? Airplane mode, whatever it may be. Um, but no, I'm just kidding. Just, but take a moment and, and, and take back. I, I'm a person that loves taking notes. Uh, if you look at my notes and my phone, I mean, it's so full of them. It's just me. It's just how I am. I know not everyone's like that, but it's so amazing that you can return back to it and read back and, and remember the moment that you may have received some type of revelation for your life or something that's really just touched you and, and reminds you to keep pushing and keep moving forward. So I really encourage you, take some time, take some notes. And, and so how many here believe that waiting on the Lord is a blessing? Bunch of liars. It is a blessing. I love waiting on the miracle. You know what I'm saying? Uh, the reality is, yes, it could be a blessing, right? There's things that can happen individually for each one of us. But waiting on the Lord is one of the hardest things we'll ever have to do. It's hard. You know, as humans, our nature is to go about it alone to try to accomplish things on our own and in our own strength and take control of our own situations. And that's why a lot of you didn't walk in because you're waiting to figure something out on your own and then I'll walk in, right? And that's just in our nature as humans to do this, but that's often not our best interest. And too often I can get ahead of what God is trying to accomplish in my life or something that I'm not ready for. I want to go to Philippians chapter 4, verse 11 through 13, but write that down. I want you to go to Acts chapter 16, Acts chapter 16, verse 16 through 23. I'll read it after Philippians, but it says in verse 11 of Philippians 4, I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. This says, verse 12, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through Christ who gives me strength. Amen? These weren't my words. These were Paul's words, okay? I don't know about you, but it's hard to be content when something's not working out in my favor. It's hard to be content when it hurts a lot. It's hard to be content when it hasn't happened yet. But here's Paul saying, I've seen it when I was in glory, and I've seen it when I was in misery. And I've learned that in the middle of both spectrums, both ends, to be content because I know who's with me. And because who's with me gives me the strength to be able to push forward no matter what I may be going through in that moment. See, when we let God work in the world around us, we will find contentment no matter the situation. Amen? Okay, now let's go to Acts chapter 16. And I'm going to read verse 16 through 23 and we'll stop right there. It says, Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. Verse 19, when her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. Then it says in verse 23, the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten, 
with rods. I want you to write down the title of my message for today, and it is called, What Are You Waiting For? Go ahead and write that down. Uh, could it be a statement or a question mark? I don't know. I'm going to allow God to just reveal that to you, whether however you write it. What am I waiting for? What are you waiting for? What are we waiting for? What are you waiting for? Four. Let's pray. Father, we thank you once again for allowing us to be here today. Thank you for all that you've done already, Lord, from our first service up until this service, Father. Thank you for the victory, the breakthrough, Father. Lord, answer the prayers that have happened already. Lord, but we thank you for bringing your people together here to be revived and to understand that they've been called for a time as this, Father. I ask to, to speak through me, Lord. Let it be you, not me, Lord, that, that you receive all the honor and the glory. In Jesus' name, we say amen, amen. Uh, how many believe that God sees in you what you can't see in yourself? Amen? God sees in you what you can't see yourself. Uh, we won't assume that we know the things that we're longing for or the things that, that, that we feel like our heart desires. But we need to allow God to reveal his plan to us. And that's the part that's real difficult in the walk of faith is allowing God to reveal to us the plan that he has. A lot of times I want to do it in my accord. I want to do it in my own strength because I'm wired to do it that way. I want to do it in a controlled environment. For some of us, controlled chaos. That's what's happening in Revive Kids Room. But the reality is, is just knowing that if I allow God to reveal his plan to me, then that means I'm putting my full trust in him no matter what's happening around me. Now, uh, my wife, uh, Maria, she has superpowers. Uh, how many of their wives have superpowers? Come on, can we get a, you better, some husbands better raise their hands. Mother's Day's coming up. You better call her a Wonder Woman right now. We hope you are enjoying this message. We are extremely happy to use this platform to bless your life. Our desire is to impact more souls with the gospel of Christ. And if you want to join this mission and want to give today, you can do so by visiting our website, www.revivecleen.com or text GIVE to 844-462-9071. Now let's continue with the message. She definitely has superpowers. They're there. She knows everything I'm doing, what I'm doing, everywhere I go, right? It's just... It's something within her. Uh, but what's, what's awesome about my wife is, and she's probably like, be careful, because I didn't talk to her about this. But uh, what's awesome is that my wife, I mean, she, we, we have three kids, and, and we live a very uh, a, a full scheduled life, and, and it's busy, and there's a lot going on. And, 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 and so a lot of times we kind of think to ourselves the easy way to do things when it comes to when we, it's time to eat or it's time to, to, to get together to eat is, you know what, we don't have the time because we're so busy. Let's just go ahead and order food. But my wife has a superpower that when she gets into the kitchen, even if we didn't do groceries, she's able to make something really fast, come out, and it's gourmet. And you're like, what is this? Is there anyone that's like that, right? There's some ladies in the building. Uh, and the thing is, is it's amazing. So she'll put it together. I just made spaghetti with this. And what's this? I don't know, but it tastes good. You know what I mean? And it's just uh, me, on the other hand, I like preparation. You know what I'm saying? I take time. Maria tells me that I take too long to prepare and cook and use too many tools when I do it. I'm sorry, I watch Ramsey a lot on TV, you know what I'm saying? I'm like, what knife is that? I'm looking for Google, you know what I'm saying? Put it on value pay, you know, I'm just thinking. And, and I remember, I, I, she'll be like, babe, you're taking it like, wait, like, come on. Like, you know, it's a long time. Like, for me, I don't like defrosting my frozen chicken in the microwave. I think that's a cheat, you know what I'm saying? I like for it to defrost naturally in a cold environment 
so that when I pull it out, it's perfect and tender and ready to be cooked, right? But some of us, we ain't got time to wait for that, right? So we throw it in the microwave, nuke that bad boy's defrost. Then we cut it like rubbery now, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, how, many, how many know what I'm talking about? I, it's just me. I'm like, no, well, we're not eating today because the meat is frozen, right? How many have gotten that call? You're at home and your wife calls you and says, pull out the meat from the freezer and put it on the, right? Am I the only one, right? And then you forget. The ground beef was supposed to be out that morning, and you forgot and left it. Now it's still a solid rock that we have to defrost in the microwave. You know what I'm saying? And, and so I, for me, that's just how I am, right? I, I, my prep time is, is just a lot. I like to prep everything before because I feel like everyone's watching me on Instagram. So I have to have the little white bowls and all the little things. And my onions are chopped here. My green peppers are chopped here. My red peppers are chopped here. But this, my wife's like, no, all in bowl one, right? I'm like, no, individual. They have to be separated so that I have the luxury and the feeling and get the satisfaction that when I throw one in, it's like Then I say, it's your turn, yellow peppers, you know what I mean? And just, and then it's your turn, green peppers. And I just throw it in there, right? But then the dishes are all piled up, right? You know what I'm saying? And I'm just like, who's going to wash them? <laughs> Me, right? Not because my wife doesn't want to because she said, you could have just used one bowl, right? It would have been easy. So then when I go to Raquel wash the dishes, she's like, I don't like washing the dishes when dad cooks because she'll be there for an hour, right? I just like to, to it's just how I am. This just, and the thing is, is there must be waiting whenever you want to enjoy the result, right? Not saying that her chicken is going to be better than mine. That's why I said she has a superpower. It's phenomenal. But for me, in my mind, in my, the way I'm wired is that I know that chicken's going to be bomb when I do it the way I feel like doing it, right? And the thing is, is a lot of times the trick is to be content, wait, and work on what you need while the food cooks, right? Uh, for, for you, I've, I've, I've slowly started mastering as I'm cooking to start doing other things while one thing is happening, right? How many just like just boil the thing and you're just sitting there waiting? It's done. Next, what's the next thing to do? While you're doing that, you could be doing this. And while you do that, right? You know, and so it's taking time, right? It's taking time. But the, the, it, while you wait and work, it's amazing to see the final result of it and be like, wow, all that hard work, all that process in order to enjoy this in three minutes. You know what I'm saying? Like it's, it's that quick. And I love that Paul writes that for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Right, Maria? Whatever situation you are to be content, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound, that in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I dare you, husband, to say that to your wife when she's asking you to do something. Paul is not waiting for God to give him joy or happiness. He already has these things because of Christ. What are the situations in which Paul finds this contentment in joy? He says that he is content when he has abundance, which is more than enough. He is content when he doesn't have much as he used to or as he thinks he should have. He abounds in every situation while circumstances change, but the inner workings of our character and God's presence will never change. You know, we opened with the famous biblical story of Paul and Silas. Y'all like, this is an upgrade. It's new, but uh, we're still figuring it out. You know, we just, and they were operating in their destiny, and they were obeying God. 
And it says in verse 16 of, of Acts, he says, once, when we once were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. And Paul then casted the evil spirit out. Uh, and I, I thought to myself, I've asked the question, and you can probably find it in the Quest Bible. There's a question there that says, since the evil spirit told the truth, why did Paul cast it out, right? If anything, it was more promotion, right? It was like, yeah, yeah, that's what we're here for. Go ahead and say it. Preach it. Preach it, evil spirit. You know what I'm saying? The evil spirit is actually yelling out. They are here to cause an uproar and bring Jesus to this place. They have a power that's unknown. They're saying, yes, yes, go ahead, you know. But no, Paul got a little annoyed, you know what I'm saying? He's like, enough is enough. And he, and he said, out. And the evil spirit left. And what happened? We, we've heard the story before. Her slave owners noticed that she wasn't making any more money. Her, her fortune-telling abilities were seized. And so they went to the magistrates, and they took Paul and Silas, and they arrested them, and they beat them with rods. And I thought to myself, first, Paul may have seen nothing more than a temporary distraction or an inconvenience, but as days passed and her pronouncements attracted increased attention, then Paul recognized it as more of a major hindrance and took decisive action. The truth coming through the wrong source or delivered inappropriately can lose its effectiveness. See, he had to be responsible with what God was telling them, not with what God was telling them. What God, that she was whatever saying in that moment. So Paul and Silas had a responsibility because not everyone is able to do what God's asked you to do. And so Paul's like, okay, the source is wrong. We need to change this. They interrupted the woman. They got accused. They were beaten. They were thrown in jail. Now, side note, I love this because in this time, as, as it, when, you, when you fellowship and you spend time with each other, because we, we were created to be in community, there's something that happens when you're with like brothers and sisters, that, and there's an encouragement that happens. There's things that start because you start understanding certain things like these past three and a half days with, with, four, with three people or four people that, that really I have not known so closely in adult age and learn a lot of the what God's doing within their individual lives was encouraging me and I was like wow Lord like this is amazing the story that this person had the story of what God's done with them and so but the, the beauty of what Paul and Silas was were doing is that they were together they, they preached together they were imprisoned together and and eventually we know the story they were freed together and it was the fellowship it was a brotherhood with one another that kept them pushing forward and not giving up I, I want to ask you today who are you with while you're waiting on the things of God who's around you when you're longing for certain things to, to, to be accomplished who are you with that's kind of where I want to touch today because Silas was chosen to accompany Paul on his journey. See, you cannot choose your family, but you could choose your friends. And friends are the family sometimes that you choose. The friends you choose will have a positive or negative impact on you. That's why in Proverbs 13, 20, it says, Walk with the wise, and you'll become what? But for a companion of fools suffers what? Harm, right? Choose your friends wisely. Who am I around most of the time? Who am I allowing to speak into my life? And then some of us may say, I have no one speaking into my life. But if they're speaking around you and they're around you most of the time, then they're speaking into you. And here's the thing. Saul 
of Tarsus before he became Paul had been such a vicious persecutor of Christians that even after his conversion, the people were still afraid of him. So that means after he was converted with Christ, wherever he stepped foot to preach God's gospel, to preach about what Jesus has done, that even the own believers were like, okay, like that, amen, that's, ooh, that was good. But, you know, just, he might be tricking us. I don't know. Right? Like, is there fruit? Am I seeing fruit in what he's saying? Right? I, I, I don't know what this may be. And the people were still, but when Paul eventually returned to Jerusalem following his conversion to Christ, Barnabas had to persuade the disciples to let the apostle fellowship with them. You can look that up in Acts chapter 9. And, and as a result of this intercession, a wonderful friendship between Paul and Barnabas was formed. And on their first missionary journey together, a young man by the name of John Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, accompanied them. And it says in the Bible that along the way, however, John Mark decided to return to his home in Jerusalem, a.k.a. he quit. Now, later on, when, when a second campaign was planned, Barnabas proposed taking Mark as a helper. And, but Paul resisted the idea. Instead, he chose to take Silas. And we can get into a theological debate, but the Bible never tells us why he said no. He just thought maybe it was unwise to take John Mark. But think about it. Why would I take someone on my journey that quit the last time along the way? Paul had a, a, an assignment. Paul, Paul had instructions. Paul was on a mission. He needs people by him that will go and, and be part of it for the long haul. And it says in Acts chapter 16, now to verse 25 through 26, it says, now here's the famous one where everyone goes, hallelujah, it says about midnight. Y'all remember that part, right? About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a, such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and at once all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. Let's all clap for that moment, right? That's amazing. Imagine the quitter John Mark in the prison with Paul. I, I thought about it in this way, saying that it, it, it's divine what God does, and there's purpose in everything that happens. And I said, you know, you can read later, John Mark, he, he does get established. He goes on with journeys with Barnabas, and he learns. And later, even Paul asks while he's in prison, send John Mark to me so I can be by my side while I'm in prison. So eventually something happens. But in the moment where he's saying he's not ready yet, he took Paul, or he took Silas. I've understood that you have to know that not everyone can come where God is taking you. Not everybody is welcome in the new season. Not, not everyone will understand your journey. You have to understand that they don't need to because it's not for them. And a lot of us, we may be here by ourselves today and your friend didn't come or your spouse didn't come or someone that you've invited and cared for didn't come and you're here alone, or you've walked into this place invited by somebody else and it took time for you to arrive, but you have to understand that God has a plan and purpose for your life, specifically for you, and he's going to surround you with the right people. He's going to align you with the right things, and at times it may not be the way you think it's supposed to be. But can I be content like Paul and say, Lord, 
that I could do this by your strength, that it's only through you, that as much as it may hurt, as much as someone has left, God could continue to utilize it. I heard something so amazing this last few days. We were saying that God will use what's left, not who left. And a lot of times it may just be you by yourself. And you're standing there. We know that feeling where you're just like, ah. but God, I know you gave us a word. I know that you've, you've called me to, to something great. And I don't know what great may look like. I don't, I'm not trying to measure great with you. I'm just saying I know that it's something that, that's big in my life, something personal to me. And, and some of us, it may not spe- be specifically a microphone in ministry. Some of us, it may be something else within your job, in your field, within your community. There's something that God is calling and drawing you to. But, but we tend to step back and just be like, no, because so-and-so is not here. And because this person walked away and left and this. And God is saying, I need you to step forward. At times we wait and we sit and God's asking, what are we waiting for? That is by my strength, not yours. See, Proverbs 3, verse 3 through 4 says, Never let loyalty and kindness leave you. Tie them around your neck as a reminder. Write them deep down within your heart. Then you will find favor with both God and people and you will earn a good reputation. So we go back to chapter 13 of Proverbs verse 20 and he says, walk with the wise and become wise for a companion of fools suffers harm. So just like spending time with the wise, it will impact us positively. Spending time with fools and can and will impact us negatively. So we all spend time with people daily that whether we acknowledge it or not are influencing over our lives. So we better choose wisely when deciding whom to spend our time with. I felt led to, for this message specifically for this group of people today because a lot of times that's what it is. We have one foot in and the other foot out. And God is saying, have you not been realizing and listening to what's happening in the world today? I'm, I'm talking about those who are believers and those who maybe grew up in church, those who knows. Are you not seeing? Because a lot of us, we, we seek for signs and wonders, but sometimes those signs and wonders are things that we don't want to see. And God is saying, it is real. I'm I'm showing you that we are in the end. Where everything that was good now looks bad. And everything that's bad is not glorified and is good. And so we're in a position now as believers where it's like, what what am I going to do? And I have one foot in and one out. And there's some people in this room that are wasting their youth when God's called you for a time as this, saying that I've placed something inside of you for my glory to expand the kingdom, but you're going somewhere else being a follower of something that doesn't produce fruit. I like fruit. I like it. I like fruit bowls. You know what I'm saying? Strawberries, bananas, grapes, you know what I'm saying? Y'all know blueberries, anybody like blackberries? That's mm, the ones in Sam's, tremendous. Mix it all up, cut it up. Little dollop of honey. <laughs> My wife hates it. She's like, it's already sweet. It's like, no. I got allergies. I need it. Sweet. I love sweet. We love sweets. I learned Alex loves sweets every day. Sweet, sweet. It's good. It tastes good. It feels good. 
And you have no idea you're biting into something bitter and trying to do things that God's not called you to do. And you know the truth. You're like, and the sad reality is that people like that, when they get too far in, they feel like they're not worthy enough to come back. And they stay. And you know what? I'd rather just be away because the things that I've done and maybe I used to be in the forefront. Maybe you saw me with influence and now I'm. And God is calling people. There's things inside of you. There's anointing. You've been set apart. You've been set. Anointed means I've been set apart. Why would you think you're going through what you're going through if God's hand wasn't on you? Because you've been set apart. And we battle it every day. We're facing it going, (sighs) can I tell you you're not too far deep in for God? You're not too far for him? That he still receives you? That he still loves you? That he still calls your name? I want to give you some practical advantages to choosing the right people around my life. I want to look at a few here. The first one, you can write this, is you get the safety of wise counsel. When I choose the right people around me, whether it's a small group, whether it's a church, whether it's people, and and trust me, I I get it, and I'm going to hit that in a moment, because a lot of times we step into a church and feel judged. Sometimes we step into a place where we think it's supposed to be a safe haven and feel further than what it is that it says on the sign. We welcome everyone. But here's the reality. You get the safety of wise counsel. Where no counsel is, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. That's Proverbs eleven fourteen. When you surround yourself with the right people, you will receive the right feedback when you bounce your ideas off of them. Said in another way, when you are around the right people, you will hear the right things. I want to be around people that can encourage me in the moment or that one day I can encourage them. I want to be around people that, that the moment I'm going through something, I can hear, hey, it's going to be okay. Push through. We, we did this throughout these last three and a half days with five completely different personalities that as I'm hearing different stories, I can feed off of and say, you know what? I remember when God did this for me and I'm believing that God will do it for you. Just trust in him. When you're around the right people, you will hear the right things. What's the opposite of that? I'm going to say it plainly for you. If the people that you are spending the most time with are drawing you away from Christ, if they're your spouse, put them in God's hands. But if they're friends, you have the power to choose them. The second one is your character is protected. In Paul's first letter to the church at Corinth, he was addressing a myriad of issues within their church. And the church had allowed unruly conduct to spread like wildfire. Paul addressed the issues in many ways. But one thing he said that I want to highlight in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, he says, Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. He did not mince words. He was clear that if you associate with corrupt people, you will eventually be corrupted. That's Bible. I'm not reading anything else. That wasn't like, you know, the book of, uh, you know, it's the Bible. 
Your character will be protected. Number three, you remain sharp. You like to stab somebody? It depends. Hold on, let me explain. No, you remain sharp. One of the greatest benefits of having godly friends is that they keep you sharp. You're able to grow together. Later in Proverbs, Solomon said, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. If you want to remain sharp, you must surround yourself with sharp people. A true God friend can help keep you sharp in the spirit, letting you know when you're getting off track. And we all need that. And the fourth one, choosing the right people, the right friends, they make you better. They make you better. See, when Michael Jordan stepped on the court, he made every one of his teammates better because he stretched them to do more. He patterned excellence before them. He assisted them in perfecting their skills. The same happens when you surround yourself with the Michael Jordans of your field. They make you better. See, we need one another. Can someone say amen to that? We need one another. And there are times in, all, in our lives that when we have, where we will have strength we lack and times when we have strength to spare. You can't do life alone. And that's why Silas was chosen. See, we need more people who are similar to us in our age and interests who can also sharpen us in life and in ministry. It's healthy to have people we trust and respect who understand our age and family dynamic that can keep our thoughts and attitudes in check. And in just the same way, we need people that have lived a life, that have a wisdom to spare, where the old and the young come together, where there's a diversity within the group to show that, hey, I've seen and I've gone through things that you're going through today. And I'll tell you what I did. I trusted in God. I believed in God. He delivered me. He showed me. Or I made this mistake. I saw the result. I've suffered the consequence. Walk away from that very thing. We need each other. We cannot do life alone. So Paul and Silas, through, they went through a lot together and they helped each other get through many difficult times in the ministry together. And healthy peer relationships, were, they're valuable to everyone because God made us relational beings. We need to spend time with people who can be a friend to us when life is going fine. So they're already in our life when life goes less than fine. Someone we can call and share our heart with who will not judge us or condone things that are wrong, but will listen to us and try to encourage us in the right direction. What am I trying to say? Revive. Something that's been on my heart dear, and, and we've been now th almost three years, going on three years as a ministry, and uh, about two years as an English service gathering together is diversity. Is to, not just that I'm happy that I see black, white, Hispanic, Asian in a group. Know that across the board from our leadership down is the same representation. Because there's some things that I will not understand that my black friend or black African-American brother may feel or, or, or a white or Caucasian may feel. In today's day, I don't even know what's right to say if somebody gets offended. But the reality is that if you're not who I am in my culture, I need to have people around that can understand that culture and be able to talk and speak and minister to people that don't look like me. We need each other. Can I tell you, this is not a Spanish church. 
We just got a lot of Spanish people here. You know what I'm saying? It's just, we started with a Spanish church. So naturally, we have amazing Spanish leaders that have taken it and have moved forward and say, we're here to build the vision that God's placed for Revive, to revive this community. And something that I've learned throughout these last few days and this last year is, what is our community asking of us? Are we, are we even making a difference because we're here? Because we're praying, right, Dad? We're praying. We're saying, God, give us the words to say every single Sunday, every single service. What do you need for your people? Sometimes the answers are right here because I don't want to answer questions that are not even being asked. What's our community going through? What's the divorce rate in this city? What's happening with our high schools? What's, am I doing the effort as a leader to understand my own city? Because a lot of us, we chase for encounter. So that's all I want. I just want to be in his presence. And we live off of encounters. I just want to be in his spirit. That's it. And God said, I need you in the field so that people can understand that there is an encounter waiting for them, that there is love that draws them in. We need to do life together. I want to challenge you right now. If you come on church this Sunday, if you're part of our Spanish team, or if you're part of that, you're more, let me not say it like that, but you're part of, you're, you're, you're Hispanic of descent, but you're a leader. I want to encourage you and I want to challenge you to get to know somebody outside of your sphere and circle. Go to somebody that doesn't look like you and say, hi, my name is, if you have an accent or whatever. And let them know, I'm here for you. I love you. You're my brother. You're my sister. Now, please, don't take this like I'm getting people in trouble. <laughs> I love y'all. Y'all have done so much. We're only under three years, and look what all God has accomplished. Slow growth is good growth. It's happening. And God is aligning us with people. I I'm not with a checkbox. It, it sounds funny where it's like, yes, we got another black leader. Hallelujah. You know, Whoa, we got another white person. No, no, we're not doing that. I'm like, Lord, send those who are equipped. Send those that, that have been through things that can help encourage someone else. Send them, Lord. Send them to this house. Send them that they understand they've been revived. Revive people that are sitting in here right now that have gifts and talents that can change the whole city. Revive people that are in this house, not just to fill it, but to have an encounter with people and let people know about God. We need to do life together. Paul had to choose Silas because John Mark was not ready. He needed somebody that was going to be by his side that the moment they were arrested and flogged and injustice happened, I have someone by my side that believes in a Christ that has freed us before and God's going to do it again. That has gone through before. God's, see where we're going is up. I need you to understand that. We're not going down. I've already gone through it way too long in ministry. God has called us that everything you learned in the past is preparing you for right now in the future. We're only going up. The Bible says from glory to glory. Not glory to misery. Misery to downtrodden. downtrodden. No, it says glory to glory. I'm ready for more glory in this house. Revive Kali for God to change families, change spouses, change marriages because only God can do that. But he needs people that are ready to take on the call and say, Lord, send me. I will go. I'm ready to move in your calling. I'm ready to move in what you've asked me to do. I'm no longer going to sit. I'm no longer going to cry. Sure, it didn't work out. Sure, I went through that pain, but that pain is not what's going to propel me to my destiny and allow me to share with people what God only did through him.
We need each other. We need it. We can't, this is a lot. It's a lot of work. I can't, we can't do this by ourselves. You know what I'm saying? Like it's just, I, I don't want a bunch of Andreses. I need people that think different. I need people that could be like, see it beyond that I could see it and be like, Pastor you got to think about this. I, I, I'm, I'm ready. I, I hope you're, you're feeling something with inside of you that's saying, man, it's time. It's time. What are you going to do? It's time. What are you waiting for? It's time. What are you waiting for it to happen? It's time. It's time. If God's placed something inside of you, it's time. Sing through the pain. Sing through the worry. Sing through the doubt. Sing worship. Worship. God responds to worship. They went through a lot. But iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens his friend. And Paul tells us in that verse that there's a mutual benefit in the rubbing of two iron blades together. The edges become sharper, making the knives more efficient in their task to cut and slice. Jesus said it best that the greatest reflection of love is not marriage. It's one person laying his life down for another. So the question tonight then is, do the people today, do the people I'm surrounded by bring me life? Are your friends taking steps forward or are they still living for the weekend? Do you leave from hanging out with your friends feeling anxious or do you leave feeling alive? Are the people around me concrete slabs tied around my ankles or are they jetpacks helping me fly? What are you waiting for? Perhaps in our times of waiting for God, to do something, we can understand that God is always moving in the world. That in the period of waiting, it's like when you sow a seed in the ground in the fall, in the autumn, you want to be impatient. You want to say, I planted the seed. I want something to grow straight away, please. But you have to wait through the winter. And during the winter, it isn't that, that nothing is happening. It's that the seed is germinating out of sight underground. And it needs to be there. And, and in the spring, when the new shoots happen, it looks sudden to us because we haven't seen anything going on until then. But actually, stuff has been going on underground again and again God works underground in our lives in our imaginations in our personal circumstances and in the wider world and then suddenly something new happens a new project a new moment in our lives and we're astonished by it one of our deepest needs in life is to feel secure is to feel valuable is to feel accept acceptance because of this, we're constantly doing two things. We're evaluating and we're comparing. And we do this all the time. We're, we're consciously and unconsciously evaluating and comparing. And, and we judge ourselves by one of the world's four standards. We, we look at our appearance and, and how, how do I look? And this mentality says that the more beautiful you are, the more important and more valuable I am. And then you look at affluence and you say, if I own a lot of things, then I must be worth a lot. Or maybe you're looking at it in the lens of achievement, that you're basing your value on awards and notoriety and promotions. Or you're looking at approval, you're, you're seeing how many people like me, how popular am I, how many followers do I have, that you base it on a value system. The problem with this value system is that it's not stable. 
because beauty fades with age. Possessions wear out. Someone else will surpass your successes and not everyone will like you. Studies show that you tend to base your self-esteem on what you think the most important in our life thinks about you. So I recommend you today to make Jesus Christ the most important person in your life because he will always, always tell you the truth. Paul's word for contentment is the regular term used by the Stoics for a self-sufficiency which is altogether independent of circumstances. Christian contentment also does not depend on external things. Thus, I have learned the secret, Paul wrote, of being content in any and in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. This Christian secret is not to be found within ourselves. See, a lot of the Stoics and the New Agers, they'll tell you that I can do everything. Paul went on says, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. There's a genuine contentment is not self-sufficiency, but Christ-sufficiency. This is why godliness plus contentment equals great spiritual gain. I close with this. Uh, there was a grandfather that had found his grandson jumping up and down in his playpen and crying at the top of his voice when Johnny saw his grandfather he reached up his little chubby hands and said grandpa please out out it was only natural for the grandfather to reach down to lift his grandson out of his predicament but as he did the mother of the child stepped up and said no you're being punished so you must stay in the grandfather was at a loss to know what to do because the child's tears and, and chubby little hands reached deep into his heart. But the mother's firmness in correcting her son for misbehavior must not be taken lightly. Here was a problem of love versus law, but love found a way. The grandfather could not take the youngster out of the playpen, so he crawled in with him. See, God did not spare Paul and Silas the suffering and imprisonment, but he did come down into prison with them. God did not keep the three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, out of the fire furnace, but he went into the furnace with them. God will not always deliver us from trouble and heartache, but he has promised grace for every situation. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. So if we aren't waiting for something, what do we do? We place our trust in God. Isaiah 40, 30 through 31 says, Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fail. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not, and grow, and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Father, we just come to you in this moment giving you thanks, Lord, for your word. Lord, for all that you've reminded us of, all that you've allowed us to receive as revelation for our own lives. And we thank you for this time together. We thank you for encouraging us. We thank you, Lord, for speaking to us. And Lord, as we try to answer the question what we're waiting for, Lord, we just, we 
just allow you, Lord, to touch us, touch our hearts, touch our minds. Lord, to fill us up with your love. Lord, that in my weakness, Lord, that I can recognize and, and realize that you are strong. That by your strength, I can do more than I thought I could do, more than what I could deserve. Just ask you in this moment, Lord, as you speak to us and have spoken, Lord, that we're able to see your goodness and your love through every circumstance and that we can make the decision to be content and say, Lord, I know that you're in this. I know that you have your hand over it. Lord, I know that you carry us. You have the final word. Lord, I'm just going to put my trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen. If we could all stand to our feet as we close.